Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. David, how are you doing? What are we doing for the episode today? Dude, it just came out of a fantastic AMA with Antonio of DYDX, who walked us through the DYDX platform and explained where it's going. Uh, Antonio is a really sharp guy, and this was a fantastic AMA. Before we talk a little bit more about that AMA, we're going to talk a f- uh, for a few moments about our sponsors. Our first sponsor, which I'm a huge fan of, is Gods Unchained. And for all of you guys that have played Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, this is that same game, but now it's on Ethereum. And now you own your cards as digital tokens on Ethereum. The really cool thing about Magic the Gathering was that you owned your cards, your physical cards, like physical cash, but there was limitations with how you played the game. And Hearthstone, there were fantastic new innovations with the game because of its digital nature, but you never owned the cards because Blizzard just has them. They're Blizzards. And what Gauze Unchained is, is the best of both worlds. You own your cards as digital NFTs. You have provable scarcity, provable rarity, and it's a fantastic game that I play every other weekend or so. Check them out at godsunchained.com. Also want to tell you about longtime sponsor Aave. So Aave is a lending and borrowing protocol on Ethereum. It replaces banks for those sorts of features. So it's an example of protocols replacing banks that we talk about so much. So what can you do with Aave? You can lend to it. That basically means you start receiving interest for the Ethereum tokens you lend to it. A DAI, for instance, or a LINK, or other ERC-20 tokens that you may have. You receive interest for those. You can also borrow against it as well, and they offer fixed rate loans when you borrow against it. Aave has just had some phenomenal growth this year. In fact, they are the number one protocol right now as we're talking about this on the DeFi Pulse leaderboard. That means you are trusting them with the most in terms of total locked value. They're also releasing some fantastic governance features with their Lend token. You got to keep up with that. The Avonomics, as they call it, and you can check the Avonomics governance. You can check out what they're doing. You can check Check out their new things around unsecured loans, all the innovation that they're developing, and actually try them out at Aave.com, A-A-V-E.com. Ryan, what did you think about this AMA with Antonio? This is a great AMA. You know, it actually, uh, for me, um, I know, you know, a decent amount about DYDX and some of the financial primitives he's talking about, but it was just so good to get a recap of the way Antonio thinks about it from a builder's perspective. And also like just the way he sort of laid out the various layers in the DeFi financial stack where he started at kind of the bottom of the money layer and he sort of built his way up. I mean, that's how we think about it. That's how we mm-hmm. sort of describe the mental model on Bankless. And he started at that foundation. We spent a good amount of time doing that and it was not wasted time at all because it's, it's, yeah, it set a foundation for the rest of the questions later on. So I feel like I came out of that with a really strong understanding, recap Mm -hmm. understanding of what margin is in a decentralized protocol like DYDX and what perpetuals actually are. So if you're a little fuzzy, like maybe you've used you know, trading and stuff like that. You've you've taken out a loan or you borrowed um, in crypto or just in in general uh, traditional finance, but you've never done anything with margin or you've never done anything with perpetuals. You've heard these words, but you don't understand them. 
listen to this episode because uh, this is probably the best explanation that I've heard. And I think you'll walk away with this, like understanding what these words mean and when they make sense and, and when they don't, what some of the risks are. Yeah. So every week in ban the Bankless newsletter, we put out tactics, right? And this was basically like a, a audio tactic. Uh, and, and Antonio did a really good job of explaining how like he thinks of Ethereum as a financial stack, which is totally true. And all of the finance is a stack. And then he has his own native stack inside of DYDX. And so if you are a person who's like me, where you came into the world of finance through crypto, like I was a psych major, like I learned about money and finance through the <laughs> yeah. cryptography. Right. And, and DYDX is actually a great platform for learning about some of these really important primitives, both on the 101 level and then all the way up to like the 401 level. Because like at, at the very simplest, you can use DYDX to trade USDC and ETH, like if that's what you're into. That's like the 101. But then you can go margin long or margin short, which is like 201. And those things stacked together can offer perpetuals, which is like the 301, 401 type stuff. And so there's a really awesome learning curve with uh, DYDX. And Antonio did a great job in this AMA walking us through it. The other thing I thought was really, really cool was just how incredibly bankless this whole thing is. Right. Yeah. And like you, you said in the AMA, like bye bye BitMEX, like that is what DYDX is. And like in, in, if we had more time, I would have brought up the subject of the protocol sync and DYDX is dense in the protocol sync. It's not, it's not the densest, it's not in Uniswap, but it's far denser than anything we know of in the legacy system. And so I'm really optimistic about the way DYDX like falls down the protocol sync and becomes like this bankless platform for all of these legacy financial tools that legacy financial people are familiar with. So those legacy financial people will be able to come to Ethereum and say like, all right, well, where are the perpetual swaps? And they'll be able to, the answer is, oh, they're on DYDX. Like we have those, like we've got it. Like, and it now is trustless and better than all of your alternatives. So, you know, bankless for the win. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was amazed at uh, just the progress that they're making, right? So this is of course structured as a, an ask me anything in AMA. So what we do is we broadcast this live on YouTube and uh, David helps field questions. Um, and we get questions from bankless community members in the discord and we ask them. One of the great questions that was asked toward the end, which we you know, spent a good amount of time on toward the end, uh, was about layer two. So what is DYDX doing uh, for scalability? So basically, from Antonio's perspective, it's like we're not limited in terms of um, demand. What we're limited it on in terms of is, is basically blo block space, like gas fees and scalability. And he kind of smiled when I say, what are, you, what, are you, what are you paying, man? Are you paying like, you know, <laughs> um, 10, 10K a month or like, you know, that kind of range? And he's like, nope. <laughs> it's got to be way more than that, North right? of that, sir. North of that, sir. And so, but, the, you know, the cool thing, the thing I didn't realize coming into this conversation is how close DYDX feels like it is. And this is from a builder. So it's not from a, like a hypester. This is somebody who's actually like been building and hacking on crypto for the past three years, you know, sinking their teeth into all of the, the shortcomings of DeFi. And he's like, yeah, in four months, we think we're going to have an entire V2 that's going to be close to parity with the user experience of a centralized exchange is going to be scalable in a layer two. Um, that was crazy to me. I did not expect that kind of turnaround time or uh, timeline. Did you? 
No, no, not that fast. But also, I guess like Antonio is one of the few people that has like the best access to information about that. So like at the end of the day, I guess I really shouldn't be surprised. Uh, no, everyone, everyone who is a builder understood that like gas or, or block space was like open and accessible block space was like a temporary luxury of like the bear market. And it wasn't going to be like that. Uh, and Antonio knew that as well. Yeah, the nice thing about it is um, this is, and we talked about this on a previous State of the Nation, this is kind of an example of the market starting to solve things, right? So mm -hmm. when DYDX gets their bill, and by the way, they subsidize all the gas fees in case I didn't dope. mention that. So they which pay for dope. it, which is Huge awesome. Huge customer service. Yeah, so they pay for it and they do it for their users so they can attract more users to the platform. So that's a, an expense, a line item, a cash burn item. So they are highly incented to get rid of that burn item to minimize it it's like it's like paying like uh amazon web service fees for a web 2 company and those mm -hmm. fees are like crazy you know mm -hmm. you're incentivized to um chip away at that and diminish the expense as much as possible so the the market is kind of solving slowly the problem of high gas fees by making builders uh innovate on layer two so super exciting a very small part of the interview that I enjoyed was when uh, some, somebody on the YouTube asked the question, when token? And DYDX hasn't, <laughs> hasn't communicated any interest in making a token, but Antonio's answer was fun. And his answer was maybe token, maybe. Token. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he gets into that as well. All right, David, uh, fantastic interview. We'll get right to it. But first, we should talk about our sponsors I um, want to tell you a bit about Polymarket. So Polymarket is a prediction market that's built and based on Ethereum. It has a very simple and understandable user experience. What is a prediction market? Well, it allows you to make bets on particular outcomes. You have the ability to bet on all sorts of things. You can bet on DeFi outcomes. You can bet on Ethereum. Will Ethereum ship its second version, ETH 2.0, this year, or will it take 2021? you can bet on those sorts of things. You can bet on total locked value uh, on DeFi as well. And the user experience isn't clunky. It's, it's smooth, similar to what you'd be used to experiencing in a regular prediction market in the centralized world. You can check it out. Uh, try out a bet at poly.market. That's poly, P-O-L-Y dot market. And if you tweet about it and you tag poly.market, their Twitter handle, and tell them what you're doing uh, and tell them that Bankless sent you. They will cover your gas fees and give you early access to unreleased Polymarket features. So try them out, uh, tag them, tweet them, email them at hello at poly.market. Tell them Bankless sent you and they'll get you some special stuff. Our next sponsor is Ampleforth, king of modern rebasing. Ampleforth is this very interesting monetary experiment going on in Ethereum. Ampleforth is very similar to Bitcoin in that it is non-dilutive base layer money and M0 money, but where Bitcoin has a completely inflexible supply and therefore its demand is reflected in its price, Ampleforth is the inverse, where it has an inflexible price but completely flexible supply. So if Ampleforth goes up or down in value, instead of the price going up and down, you will see more or less Ampleforth tokens in your Ethereum wallet. Really interesting primitive. There's a lot of energy going around with rebasing right now, and Ampleforth was the original token that came out with that. So that is pretty interesting. They have a, a liquidity incentive program, a, a yield farming uh, program, if you will, 
in their geyser. So you can submit uh, ample force tokens and ether to the Uniswap uh, uh, liquidity uh, pool, and then you will get extra ample force tokens as a dividend, as a distribution mechanism of the ample force token, as well as an, an, a liquidity incentive program. So you can check them out at ampleforth.org. All right, let's get to the interview with Antonio. Bankless Nation, welcome to our second live video AMA. I am joined by DYDX's Antonio Giuliano, who is the founder of DYDX. Just hold on hey. one minute. I'm going to mute myself on YouTube. <laughs> I hear it. I hear an echo, but I'm good now. Antonio, how are you doing? Welcome to the Bankless Nation. Are you ready to be put on the hot seat? You ready for some AMA questions, sir? Doing well. Yeah, I'm ready. Excited. Excited to answer everybody's questions. Awesome. All right. So I think this is actually the first time that we've had you um, in front of the Bankless Nation in like podcast form or anything, but we've run a number of articles about DYDX, specifically uh, some of the perpetual features and, and things that we want to dig into today. I'm sure the community will want to dig into as well. So um, I'd love to start with an introduction. Before we do so, though, uh, a few housekeeping items. So first, if you are tuning in live on Periscope, um, head on over to the YouTube channel. That way we can see some of your questions as they come in and get those questions answered. Um, this is an AMA, so it's interactive. So if you have questions for Antonio during the conversation, please go ahead and post those on YouTube. Also for the Bankless Nation members who are in Discord, you can post questions in Discord as well. You can also join us in Zoom. We will try to prioritize your questions uh, first. And this is probably going to go about an hour. So it is 2 p.m. Eastern for me. Uh, we'll probably go until 3 p.m. Eastern. So we'll, we'll try to uh, like throw in kind of a, you know, halftime and a, you know, 15 minutes left signals for you so you can get all your questions in. So that's it as far as housekeeping. Antonio, let's um, continue with an introduction. So how the heck did you find yourself in crypto, sir? Yeah, absolutely. So how did I find myself in crypto? Uh, I've been in crypto for a little over five years now, actually, pretty much my entire uh, professional career I've been in crypto. Kind of the, the way I got into crypto was different uh, than I'd say the way most other people got into crypto. Um, so I started my career at Coinbase. I was a software engineer there, and that was basically my first job right out of the college. Um, and I got to Coinbase very differently than how pretty much everybody else got to Coinbase. Like most people were like super into Bitcoin, which was like basically all there was at the time. Um, and that kind of naturally led them to working at Coinbase. But I didn't know anything about cryptocurrency. Um, and then Coinbase was just kind of one of the like 20 companies I applied to my senior year of college. Uh, but I was really impressed with them, really impressed with like their interview process. They kind of do this like unique thing in their interview process, which DYDX also does, which is like called a work trial. So like basically uh, during my senior year of college, they like flew me out to San Francisco and I, I basically just like pieced out on classes for a week. Um, and then I like worked full time at, at Coinbase uh, for my work trial and was just really excited about everybody's enthusiasm for, for Bitcoin and like the space. And I had no idea what it was, but like clearly these people were like very smart and like very passionate about it. 
Um, so kind of just decided to take a leap of faith um, and go work with these people on this crazy thing. So this was um, kind then, of like random chance of the universe, right? That like yeah, you just got yeah, interested. Okay. Yeah. And what did your family think when you told them, hey, I'm going to like, of all of the uh, companies I could join, I'm going to do the, the Bitcoin thing. What did your family <laughs> think about that decision? They certainly had a lot of questions. I've probably explained <laughs> Bitcoin as, as probably a lot of you all have as well. Uh, it's my family like a million times. Um, but yeah, they were definitely pretty supportive of it. Um, I mean, I think at that Coinbase at that time, like Coinbase was like kind of a legit company, like they'd raised like a good amount of money at that point. So it was like, okay, clearly there's like something going on here. We don't quite understand what's going on. Um, but this like seems like a reasonable company. So yeah, go do your thing. Um, and I guess they, they were definitely supportive of it. That was quite the start. Okay, so you're you're at Coinbase, your first job sort of out of college, uh, you're getting a feel for it, your first exposure to crypto, it sounds like you fell down the rabbit hole there in some way, and then went mm -hmm. even deeper. So, th so then what happened you're at, when you're at Coinbase? Yeah, absolutely. So I joined Coinbase and just Coinbase at the time had a lot of just like the absolutely best people, like a lot of them in crypto at the space were like all at Coinbase, like during that time. And this was like back in 2015 or so. So it was a really great place to be. And it was basically just like, you know, I think we still do this at DYDX, but especially then at Coinbase, like we just talked about like Bitcoin, like literally all the time and just like <laughs> hyped up on like the price and stuff like that and like things that were going on in the space. Um, and it really just felt like this little, like, I, I don't know, like club almost where it's like, we were all super excited about this thing that nobody else like even knew what it was. Um, so we all just talked about it quite a lot. And it was like, you got to like, listen to things like Olaf, like Carlson, we like giving like a presentation over lunch, like Fred or some, like, you know, giving a, a presentation on Ethereum early on. And then I think like the thing that really did it for me in terms of like, just really selling me on the space, um, was Ethereum. Uh, probably like it was for again like a lot of you um but but basically at the time that was like right when ethereum was kind of coming out like the ethereum ico happened um you know the, the main net network was launched like during my time at coinbase and then coinbase also uh, started supporting eth as their like second crypto asset after bitcoin during my time at coinbase and this was like really a big change for all of us like at, at coinbase at the time because like I've been saying, it was basically like 100% like interest in Bitcoin at the time. And it was just like 100% clear to us that like Bitcoin would be the only interesting cryptocurrency ever. Because like, of course, it like has the network effects. Like if there were any other cryptocurrency that were doing something interesting, well, like obviously why wouldn't Bitcoin like just adopt the features um, and then like start doing itself, it itself with its like bigger network effects. So it was just 100% clear to us uh, that Bitcoin was going to be the only interesting thing ever in cryptocurrency. And of course we were wrong. Um, and you know, let's see, we can all know what's happened since then. Uh, but during this kind of like the launch of Ethereum, uh, you know, that's when I think it took all of us just a long time to like wrap our heads around like what exactly like Ethereum was and yeah. just kind of this concept that like you can write these programs that execute deterministically like on a blockchain and they can be anything, right? Like it's, it's totally its own like smart contracting language and everything like that. And I think it took me probably like six months or so to like really wrap my head around that and just had a really great opportunity to like be at the forefront of like, like I said, like Olaf and Fred, like giving presentations, like we had Vitalik come in really early on and like talk to us about smart contracts. We had like Joey Krug, like come in and give us like a walkthrough on like creating like our first smart contract, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then after I feel like I, I kind of wrap my head around like Ethereum and that you could just for the first time create these programs 
that execute on like this totally permissionless decentralized ledger, it really just struck me that this is just like a paradigm change in computing, like period. And that's like what really like got me excited about like working in the space. Very cool. All right. Yeah. So uh, programmable money use cases, I guess, pulled you the rest of the way down the rabbit hole. So Antonio, I want to get to the questions because this is for the Bankless Nation to mm -hmm. ask you questions. And I've got a first question from um, uh, Jesus Perez uh, in the Bankless community. And he wants to know, to understand the differences between perpetuals and margin trading. So like when to use margin trading and when to use perpetuals specifically. And you know what I think would be useful too, as maybe we can use this question to, to start with, but is for you later to maybe describe some of the core products that DYDX actually has, because we have a lot of people here that are very familiar with DeFi, very familiar with crypto, but um, they haven't necessarily used some of these sorts of, you know, perpetual products and margin products that are pretty standard in, uh, in other areas of traditional finance. So why don't you start with that question of when to use margin trading and when to use perpetuals? What's the difference? Yeah, absolutely. I can start with that. And maybe actually I'll just start with just kind of like the products that DYDX offers and then can okay. just describe like, you know, how they work and then like when to use them. So, so yeah, DYDX basically is obviously a decentralized exchange, but our main wheelhouse and what we're kind of focusing on is more advanced types of financial products. So we have three, well, actually we have five main products on the exchange. So we like support quite a lot of stuff. Um, so first is just spot trading. If that sounds fancy to you, it's not, it's basically just like buying and selling like you would do like on a Uniswap or a zero X or like anything else. You can do that on DYDX too. Um, the other two kind of more basic things that you can do are you can lend funds very similar to like a compound. You just kind of deposit your funds on DYDX. They passively earn interest over time. They're kind of like lent out to margin traders. You can borrow funds directly to your wallet. Again, very similar to like what you can do on a compound. Um, so these are kind of like the three things that we support that are like relatively standard, like in the DeFi space, like you've probably done them on other decentralized platforms. But like our, our real kind of like the special sauce of DYDX is these more advanced financial products. And those two are margin trading and then perpetual trading, as you just mentioned. Um, so kind of getting into like what each of those are in turn. So margin trading, all it is, is trading with borrowed funds. So, and you basically will use that to acquire leverage on cryptocurrency and all leverage is, it sounds fancy, but the best way to think about it is you'd basically just multiply your gains or losses by like a certain multiplier. Uh, and you can also like take short positions on cryptocurrencies. So DYDX makes this like really easy to do on our margin product. Uh, you can go basically like up to 5X long or up to 4X short um, on Ethereum and then die in USDC or what we support there right now. Um, and basically what's going on behind the scenes is when you're kind of trading on the margin product, you're interacting with like the lending and borrowing pools uh, to just basically like borrow funds behind the scenes. And, and that's how you kind of acquire the leverage. So that's the first product. The second product. So which before we, we get sorry, to the perpetuals, yeah. Antonio, just a quick recap. So you've got spot trading and then you've got lending and borrowing. And those first three, were they necessary in order to build the fourth that you were talking about, which is the, the margin trading piece? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, actually. And they basically were necessary to kind of build the other points. Uh, maybe if I were to like take a step back and just like say how I like think about like the DeFi space and then just kind of like finance in general. 
So I really think of like DeFi and then like finance in general as like a stack. So it's basically like at the base layer of the stack, you have things like money. So things like crypto assets, which like Bitcoin and Ethereum kind of came out first. And then like the next thing in the stack is like decentralized exchanges or like lending platforms. And you can't have those right without like the bottom thing, which is like decentralized asset to trade. So that's kind of like things like a Uniswap, 0x, like compound kind of fit in that like second layer of the like DeFi financial stack, if you will. And then like on top of that, I really think about like more advanced types of products. So things like margin trading, things like derivatives trading, and that can exist without like buying and selling, can exist without like lending and borrowing, which, you know, can exist without the assets themselves. So it's like really like you kind of need the like things like lower in the stack to like to support the higher things. Um, and that's like why we support like all of those things. Uh, it's kind of like, like you say, like we basically need to support like lending and borrowing and obviously like trading itself to be able to support margin trading. And that's super cool because it's not just DYDX that has to build those like core pieces in order to get to margin trading and derivatives. It's basically mm -hmm. the entire DeFi system that's building those. Like it's no accident mm -hmm. that one of the first DeFi use cases is something like Maker, which was a borrowing and lending platform. Um, so that's super cool. Now, before we leave margin and go to perpetual, I want to make sure we're solid on margin, right? So you used um, two words there. You used uh, one long, so when you, I want to mm -hmm. long something, right? And the other short. So does that just basically mean if I'm longing something, I am borrowing some, um, some asset against my collateral and I'm making a concentrated bet to amplify my gains if I'm right, if, it go, if number goes up, I get more gains, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I'm putting myself at risk. Is that what longing is? And then maybe you could describe shorting. Yeah, absolutely. So longing is just like you make money when the price goes up. Shorting is just like you, you make, make money more money when the price you make goes more down. money when the price goes you, up. And that's an important difference. <laughs> exactly. You make more money when the price goes up. Um, and then yeah, shorting is you make money when the price goes down, potentially at some multiplier. But the reason you might want to do like margin trading or more broadly, just like trading on leverage, which actually you can do through the margin product and also through the perpetual product, which we'll get to, but just kind of like the concept of leverage or like why you might want to use it um, in the first place um, is say you are holding a uh, hundred dollars worth of Ethereum. You could, you know, be your hodler, just kind of like keep it in your wallet you're absolutely convinced that like the price of Ethereum is like going to the moon. Uh, so like, why would you not just like hold your ETH in your wallet? It's like, that's great. Good for you. You'll make some money if you're right. And like the price of Ethereum goes up, but kind of the reason you might want to use leverage, like on top of that um, is you can make even more money as you, as you just <laughs> said, uh, if the price goes up and, and kind of you're right. Uh, it's also important to call out that this is not free. It's like all, you're also exposing yourself to kind of increase losses. If the price, if you're wrong and like the price goes down, but just kind of like this example of say you have $100 worth of Ethereum, say you used a 5x leverage to kind of take a 5x leverage long position on that Ethereum. It's basically now like your gains, like if you're right, are multiplied by five. So say in this example, you're $100 worth of Ethereum, the price of ETH doubles, and now that would have been worth $200 if you had just like held it like in your account. Um, in this kind of new leveraged world where like you basically are multiplying your gains. So in, in like the normal case where you just hold, you, you make hundred percent. So you're like two X, um, and then kind of the leverage case, if you like would have doubled your money, uh, and now since you're multiplying by like the five X leverage, you make 10 X gains. Um, so wow. it's basically like you just like multiply the gains you otherwise would have made. Um, and kind of the exchange for that is, is taking on more risk. 
and it would have yes. gone in reverse, right? So like, this isn't a free lunch. Like if it goes down, right. you can also 10 X your losses. Right. And, yes. and can you also comment on like the, the collateral requirements and also the risk, uh, risks of liquidation? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the way uh, our contracts work is kind of similar to like a maker contract or like a compound contract. They require on the margin side, uh, fully over collateralized borrows. Um, but it's basically like you can use the Ethereum that you come to the platform with like as margin. So let's maybe just walk through like a really simple example of how that would work. So here you are with your $100, let's say you're like one ETH um, and you're long, you're, you're hodler, um, but you've decided that you want to use leverage. Uh, you basically would come to the DYDX platform with your one ETH and you're like, okay, I'm super convinced that ETH is going to go up. Let's take the 5X leverage long position. Uh, you basically plop down your one ETH as margin deposit, um, and then you borrow some stablecoin under the hood. This is all very simple, actually. Kind of the product interface is basically just like you put in like, you know, I want to go like five ETH leverage, one ETH like leverage long at like five X. But like what's going on under the hood is you're actually borrowing some stablecoin. So you're borrowing, say, like another four ETHs worth of like DAI or USDC, and then you use those borrowed funds to buy four more ETH to like put on top of that one that you put up as margin deposit. So now you have kind of like five ETH sitting here in your account, you're borrowing, you still have to repay your borrow um, that you borrowed in kind of the stable coin once you close your position, but that's kind of inherently where the leverage comes from and, and what's going on under the hood. And there's gotcha. also a, a fee involved as well, right? And so uh, can you talk about the, where the fee component fits in? Sure, like the interest rates or? Yes, exactly, right. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, very similar to how if you're, you know, taking a loan on like literally any financial platform, uh, you people are not just going to let you borrow money for free, probably. Um, so it's like you basically have to pay them some interest rate. So now let's continue with our example. So you, now you're sitting here with your 5x leverage long position. Uh, under the hood, what's going on is there's 5 ETH like in the DYDX smart contracts locked into your account. And then the DYDX smart contracts basically also remember that you have to say pay back the like, uh, let's say like 2000 uh, die uh, that you kind of borrowed to, to buy like the other four ETH in the first place. And basically you have to pay like the longer you hold this position, the more interest you'll have to pay and you'll have to pay a dynamic interest rate. It's again, very similar to how compound works with kind of its variable interest rates over time. And the interest rates just kind of vary again, similar to compound. Uh, based on like the supply and demand for the pool, but there is some like interest that you'll have to pay to basically be able to hold this position. Uh, the other cool thing uh, about DYDX though, is in addition to paying interest on the amount that you're borrowing, you're also earning interest on the amount that you have like in uh, collateral on your position. So, so simultaneously, so since you're borrowing the die in this example, let's say you're paying interest on that die with whatever the interest rate is there, but you're also earning interest rate on your ETH that you have like locked up as collateral. Um, so the system works very well in that regard. Uh, normally, like the interest rates on stable coins are higher um, than the interest rates you would see on ETH, at least like historically. Um, so normally, if you're taking a long position, you'll be paying interest. But actually, it's kind of cool. Like if you take a short position, a lot of the time you'll you'll be earning interest on the platform, and kind of the platform will show you like how much interest you're earning or paying. And then maybe the last piece to cover on that is what happens in the event of a margin call? Yeah. So in the event of a margin call, and this is again, very similar to, to basically what happens on like a compound or a maker DAO, if you've used any of those platforms before, 
but in the event of a margin call, so let's say like in our example, like you, again, like you have this five ETH like locked here and then you're borrowing like the 2000 die. Um, and basically what our smart contracts will enforce is that the value of this five ETH always has to be greater than like the value of this 2000 die or else like, you know, you may have like lost the smart contract itself, like may have lost money on the trade. So let's say you went long, sadly you were wrong. Like the price of ETH is like going down instead of up as you had hoped. Um, and it gets down to the point where now your five ETH is worth just like a little bit more than like the 2000 die that you had borrowed. So it's like kind of, it's looking like it's getting to the point where like you might not be able to like cover like the losses on your position anymore. What will basically happen at this point um, is there's we kind of a decentralized network of liquidators on DYDX um, that will look for these kind of under collateralized or close to like under collateralized positions on DYDX um, and then they'll liquidate your account, um, which in all liquidation means is they'll kind of uh, basically pay back your borrow for you and they'll take some of your collateral um, in exchange to do that. And effectively what that means from your the traders perspective um, is you lost money on this trade and then your trade was like closed out before you like lost like too much money. And there'll be like a small amount of, of capital probably that's in your account after you get liquid liquidated. Um, but it's, it's probably like you lost like most or almost all like of your initial uh, deposit. So that's kind of where the risk comes in that we've been talking about with margin trading. It's definitely something you should understand a little bit more and kind of like think critically about the risks before you enter into. Um, but something where it's like you can kind of increase your risk and, and also like increase your reward there too. These mechanisms aren't new to DeFi. This is the same way it works on a centralized exchange or in traditional mm -hmm. finance. And then uh, before we get off the topic of margin trading, so I imagine we were talking about a long position there, but I imagine a short position is just the same sort of mechanism, but the bet is directionally different. You're betting instead that uh, the price of Ether will go down. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. All right. So we've got a, a, a good base. Um, I think that's important, you know, even though we're still on kind of question one, but it's a really important because I think this will answer a bunch of questions and having that foundation is important. Um, so we've gotten all the way through the first four product offerings margin. Mm -hmm. Now we get to the fifth, where things I think get, uh, you know, a little more interesting and maybe another layer of complexity. So the fifth is perpetuals, right? And do perpetuals essentially sit on top of all of the other layers? So you need trading, you need lending and borrowing, you need um, margin as well, like a mechanism. And now once you have those things, you can build out perpetuals. Is that kind of how it works? Um, sort of. I would say in terms of like their level of complexity, they're definitely like the most complex, like financially complex uh, product that we offer. Uh, they don't actually use lending and borrowing under the hood. They use basically okay. like a separate mechanism. So it's kind of like, you know, if we think of our stack metaphor again, it's like assets, like, you know, buy, sell, and then it's kind of like lending and borrowing slash margin and then like derivatives are like off to the side a little bit. Um, but they do, like, like I said, kind of use like more like financially sophisticated mechanisms to basically offer the product that people want to trade, which I'm happy to go more into. Yeah. So tell us, what is a perpetual? Yeah, absolutely. So a perpetual contract um, is a synthetic contract. Um, and this is something that has become like really popular um, in crypto itself. If you've you know, ever heard of or traded on BitMEX, this is exactly the product that's made like BitMEX really popular. 
tons of other new uh, kind of centralized exchanges like Binance has launched perpetuals, FTX has launched perpetuals in the past year. So kind of just motivating like, you know, why, why did we offer perpetuals too? They're basically by far the most popular trading product by volume in crypto right now. Uh, like there's more volume on crypto perpetuals uh, in the entire market than there is on the entire buy sell market for crypto combined. And um, another word people use for perpetual sometimes is uh, derivatives. Is mm-hmm. a perpetual a type of derivative? Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, it's kind of like derivative is like the master like class. It's like a superset, like perpetual is like a type. Um, gotcha. So that's a, that's exactly like why you like, you know, there's a lot of volume on them in terms of like what a perpetual contract is or like how it works under the hood. Um, in, in the main like selling point of why you might want to use a perpetual contract as compared to another type of derivative is kind of in the name. Um, they're perpetual, which basically means that they don't expire. Most types of derivatives, like if you've heard of like a future or like an option or kind of more traditional types of derivatives like that expire. So like if you were to buy like a normal future, it would expire, say, at the end of the month. And like you could get price exposure to ETH or whatever you wanted to trade on with that. But it's a little bit less useful because you can't hold it like as long as you might want to. So those Bitcoin futures that were, you know, so much celebrated and that came out in 2017, right, with the, the like by the CME, right. basically, right. Um, those expire. Those every every right. 30 days or so, they just expire. You can't kind of renew them. You have to start from scratch again. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. Um, and the other reason why perpetuals are really cool and why it like makes like a lot of like new uh, traders kind of use them as their first derivative product um, is because they it feels like fairly similar to like trading the underlying like asset itself. So huh. let's maybe take like the Bitcoin perpetual on UIDX as an example. Um, since the contract is synthetic, and basically what synthetic means is under the hood, there the asset that you're trading does not exist within the platform. So like on the DYDX, like Bitcoin perpetual, there's no actual Bitcoin like involved anywhere. We basically created this uh, like financial contract, which effectively just tracks the price of Bitcoin um, and without actually having Bitcoin involved. And the other really nice thing about perpetuals is it, like I said, feels like you're trading the underlying asset. So the DYDX Bitcoin perpetual and really any perpetual contract you might trade within crypto is just set up to track the price of the underlying asset. So if you're trading the DYDX Bitcoin perpetual uh, with kind of like its underlying mechanisms are designed such that like the price tracks like the price of another asset, which say could be Bitcoin. It's it's actually not like that dissimilar from like a like DAI or something like that, which like tracks like the price of $1. It's like instead here, like we're just like creating this, uh, you know, synthetic asset which tracks the price of like another asset, which is like a Bitcoin or something like that. So the underlying mechanisms are different. And the reason you can do that is back to that first layer that you were talking about, right? Which is you have the money layer essentially, where we might call that the the value layer, the collateral layer. And you're saying that collateral layer, it could be Bitcoin, it could be ether, or it also could be a stable coin. Like you guys use USDC a whole bunch, right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. And in okay. different like perpetual platforms, we'll use like a different collateral. So we have two types of collateral on the system right now. So we have some perpetuals, which are margined in USDC, which just means that there's USDC collateral. Our ETH perpetual right now, you can actually use like ETH as collateral and also trade on the price of ETH, which is very cool. Like a very like ETH centric product uh, for all you ETH heads out there. Um, and But that's kind of under like how it works under the hood. Uh, and kind of maybe if we were just to like finish out the, the talking about like how exactly the perpetuals work, 
Um, the main thing, the main mechanism that perpetuals use to basically like keep their peg or like trade at the price that you want them to trade at is this mechanism called a funding rate. Um, so all a funding rate is, it's basically very similar to a dynamic interest rate that's paid between like those who are long the contract and those who are short the contract. So in what long the contract and short the contract means is because this asset is synthetic, um, it's effectively zero sum. So like for every one unit of long, there's like one unit of like people going short. So say you go to DYDX and you buy like uh, one Bitcoin worth of the uh, DYDX Bitcoin perpetual, you're basically trading against somebody else who's kind of taking the short side of that trade. Um, and getting back to this funding rate or kind of what it is or like why it's like really important and important to understand if you're trading perpetuals is the funding rate is the mechanism by which the perpetual like tracks the price of Bitcoin. So kind of going back to the perpetual, it is its own asset. It can basically trade at, you know, like any other asset, just whatever price people want to trade it at. Um, so the question, if we're like designing this derivatives contract, this uh, perpetual contract, is how do we make it trade at the price of Bitcoin? Um, and basically what, how the funding rate comes into that is, so, so we know what the price of Bitcoin is, say it's like $10,000. Um, and then we know what the price of the uh, DYDX Bitcoin perpetual is trading at. And where the funding rate comes in is if the perpetual is trading too low, like relative to the price of Bitcoin. So like basically we want to move the price up, right? Like we want to get it like closer to being the price of Bitcoin. Um, then basically we want to incentivize more people to go long, right? Like we want to incentivize them to buy, to like drive the price up. Because when people buy, price goes up. Um, so what basically happens is then the funding rate, which is just this interest, which again is paid between those who are long and, and those who are short. Um, would basically make the people that are short pay the people that are long some interest rate to basically incentivize more people to take the long side of the trade and again like drive the price back up to like what we want it to be. Conversely, like if the price of the perpetual is too high, um, we want to drive the price down, right? Like we want it to be lower, we want more people to sell, and we want to incentivize more people to go short, which basically means selling. Um, so in that case, the funding rate would make the people that are long pay the people that are short. Um, some kind of dynamic interest rate over time. And that's basically the whole thing is just like once you understand like this funding rate and kind of like how that's used to like effectively like stabilize like the price of the perpetual alongside like what the price of actual Bitcoin is, uh, you really understand like for the most part like how like most of the contract works. So when you're kind of trading these perpetual contracts on DYDX, just the important thing to note um, is that there is kind of some funding rate, which is, you know, from a trader's perspective, it feels similar to like paying like some interest rate or even sometimes earning some interest rate uh, like you would on margin. Very good. All right. So we got markets within markets. Now let's put a bow on this perpetual thing. Um, and so we went to all of that work to construct a, a perpetual, everything you just described. Why? Why can't we just trade Bitcoin? Why can't we just trade ETH? Why are we doing this? Why is a perpetual better than margin or a different use case, let's say, than the yeah. other four? Great question. Yeah. So kind of the main reasons that perpetual that a trader might want to trade a perpetual over margin, it's not like strictly better, like there are trade offs to both, but kind of the main reason why we've seen a lot of volume like flow into perpetuals, both on DYDX and also on other crypto platforms is for a couple of reasons. So first reason is you can trade them with much higher leverage. 
So wow. DYDX isn't quite there yet, um, but if you've seen like the BitMEXs, like 100Xs of the world. Didn't Binance um, like this, do like 125X or something yeah, just like silly? Yeah, Binance did 125X. FTX okay. did like 101X just to like fight <laughs> BitMEX probably. It's just um, a race <laughs> to the bottom. Soon there's going to be 150X, 120 like, It's just going to keep on going. Yeah. Absolutely. So if like, if you've seen like those like classes of like leverage that are like of the 100Xs of the world, they're trading perpetual products. And like, that's how you get like, through the underlying constructions, you can get a lot more leverage. Um, and that's oftentimes like useful to traders. I wouldn't recommend uh, just like going and trading with like 100X leverage on BitMEX. Well, but like um, what, like, so what happens? What happens if you're trading at 100X, right? Does that mean like one small price in the wrong direction yeah. and you're just completely wiped? Yeah, if you have to look at the second by second price, chart. If the price goes down 0.5% on BitMEX and you're 100X long, you get liquidated and you lose all your money. <laughs> so it's like, you so can't it, let the price go down. Like who does all. this? It's a straight gamble. Yeah. It's a straight it's, gamble. It's, it's madness. Yeah. Like yeah. most of the like 100X stuff is a bit crazy. Like you you definitely shouldn't do that. Um, and But most people don't. Like a couple people do. It's mostly like marketing, if I'm being honest. Mm. Like just like trying to get like the higher like leverages of the world. Um, but like most people trade with like, you know, 10 to like five to 10 to like maybe up to 20 X leverage or so, which if you have like really good understanding of like how you think the price is going to move, it can make sense. Um, so, so the first is like higher leverage, um, on our margin product right now, our maximum leverage is five X on our perpetual products. Our, our maximum leverage is 10 X. That's actually going to increase quite a lot once we uh, move to our Starkware integration for perpetuals, which we can get into mm. later. Mm. Um, so first reason is leverage. Um, second reason you might want to do this is the, the funding rates can be a lot more attractive um, than kind of paying like the underlying interest rates on margin. Um, so that like makes it like really, you know, sometimes more attractive for traders to, to trade perpetuals. And then the third reason, which is really, really important, especially if you're trading on uh, DeFi, is because perpetuals can support synthetic assets. So that's basically means that like to offer like trading of Bitcoin, we don't need Bitcoin. We don't have to right. worry about like any of the cross-chain stuff. You know, we could spin up like a, you know, whatever market we wanted to like XRP market or like, you know, Litecoin, all these like types of different things. Um, and from a technical perspective, it would be very similar. The only thing we need is like a price oracle that's like reporting what the price of the asset that we want to trade is. So it allows exchanges to spin up like way more easily, like spin up trading for new markets um, and just make mark like these markets like really liquid. Um, and all liquid means is like if you want to make a trade, there's like tons of people on the other side, like willing to make the opposite trade. Okay. All right. So it basically allows you to use any store of value, any money at the base layer to create anything right. you want. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So I think we got to um, Jesus Perez's first question, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but that was like a, a fantastic amount of like foundational knowledge. I think that most, a lot of people don't understand with like margin perpetuals. Um, but that answers that question. I, I do have one last question on perpetuals. So there is this thing that you guys recently came out with called an inverse perpetual. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's the inverse part of perpetual? And you did, it's an inverse perpetual of ETH, I believe. What does yeah. the inverse piece mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So fundamentally under the hood, exactly the same thing, like still has the funding rate, still has like the same dynamics of like the perpetual contract. The inverse thing uh, basically what that means is it, it just de like determines what type of collateral you're using. Um, so the inverse part on the ETH perpetual means that you are trading the price of ETH and you're also using ETH as collateral. 
this is kind of like if you've ever traded on like BitMEX before, you'll know that like BitMEX uses like Bitcoin as collateral. Um, and you can also trade the price of Bitcoin on BitMEX. It's a very similar idea to that. But this is like the very like ETH native product and like ETH native way to do this. Uh, you can come to DYDX. You can only have ETH. You can lever up and trade on ETH with this product that's running like on the Ethereum blockchain, like control your keys the entire time. Um, so that's kind of why we launched our ETH perpetual as an inverse perpetual is we really see a lot of demand within DeFi and especially crypto more broadly um, for people that just hold ETH and like want to say either go like leverage long ETH or sometimes like leverage short ETH. Um, and this product is like a really great way to be able to do that. So it's really a product for the ETH holders who are, you know, super bulls on ETH and they don't want to cash out their ETH for some other, yeah. some other lesser money, right? Like a, a fiat, <laughs> exactly. a dirty fiat stable coin then, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Awesome. Okay. We, we are almost, uh, we are over halfway done now, <laughs> but okay. Let's let, let me do some quick hit questions, Antonio, mm -hmm. uh, that are coming in. So one question is from the discord, a bankless discord are parts of DYDX still geofenced? If so, what led to that decision? Yeah, great question. So yes. Um, so the main thing that is geofenced is the perpetual contracts. And the main thing that led to that decision in, in terms of like where they're geofenced customers right now. And the main thing that led to that geofencing um, is just certain regulations um, that are, are basically on derivative contracts within the US um, and kind of our assessments of like the risk of being an exchange and kind of offering those products to you know US customers. It, it seems like it's not within kind of like the, the spectrum of risk that we're willing to take on to be able to do that. Maybe just really quickly taking a step back in terms of like how we think about the risk, like as a decentralized exchange, um, I'd say like from a regulatory perspective, especially in the US, like every regulator has like a different definition basically of what a decentralized exchange is and also like a different definition of how much or little being a decentralized exchange helps from a regulatory perspective. And probably the, the CFTC, which is the body that uh, regulates uh, derivative products in the US, it basically like, TLDR like this don't take this is not legal advice but it's like kind of basically like doesn't really matter like too too much um if like certain parts are decentralized from the CFTC's perspective so like that's kind of what led to that decision gotcha so, and that's the main regulator that you're dealing with is the CFTC um mm -hmm. rather than not the SEC so much correct yeah got it so Antonio, is there a future version of the world where DYDX is has to implement KYC onto its platform yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, not to get too much into the weeds on like the legal stuff with this too, but there's kind of like, like the main reason you might implement KYC is, is not with the CFTC actually, there's a different like US regulatory body that kind of controls that, which is called FinCEN. Uh, they've actually put out some really good guidance in like the past year, they're one of the most proactive regulators in terms of like putting out guidance, which specifically address decentralized exchanges. And that's given us confidence to basically be able to operate without KYC. I'm not going to sit here and say that like, you know, the regulatory regime will never evolve in a way that like makes DYDX do KYC. Um, but we really strive to be able to like very much in the ethos of like cryptocurrency, just offer like trading to as many people um, and, and without like KYC to just democratize access to our products as much as possible. This took me a while to kind of figure out all of the regulatory agencies that are involved. So like the spark yeah. notes and correct me if I'm wrong because you would know, right. More than me, but spark notes are like, um, if you're dealing with something like a, a stock or a security, a security, the sec 
right. is the group involved. If you're dealing with something like a future or an option or a, a perpetual or a synthetic it, or a commodity, it's the CFTC, right? Correct. Yeah. Sometimes there's overlap. And then if you're dealing with anything that is like anti-money laundering Patriot Act type stuff, this is all US, by the way, sorry, international right. folks, but the US is, um, <laughs> they've got a lot of regulatory bodies. Anyway, that last one is, that's FinCEN, right? Correct. And those are yep. the primary um, regulators that you would probably uh, come into contact with in, in what you're doing. Is there anyone else? Uh, yeah, certainly we look at like other regulatory bodies besides that, even just in the US, there's quite a lot of them, let me tell you. Um, but I would say, yes, you're correct. Those are the main ones uh, that we think about, engage with and you know, uh, work with. To, okay, so another question. Color. Let, oh, let me, go ahead. Let yeah, me add some go color ahead. here. So, uh, from the from the realty side of things, like I, I'm exposed to this a lot. As a good rule of thumb, if there is an investment contract, it is a security and it's under the purview of the SEC. And all those things that are going on on DYDX are not investment contracts. They are not solicitations for investment, uh, but they are instead like products and derivatives, which is why they are under FinCEN. Is that is that match your understanding, Antonio? Yeah, basically. And the derivatives would be the CFTC. But yeah, FinCEN and like CFTC are the major ones for now. How about this? So this is a question coming in from our Discord. Um, so that notwithstanding, you guys haven't offered perpetuals today. Um, but is there some path for when you might be able to an ETA for perpetuals in the US? I think a lot of our US listeners are curious. Yeah, it's that. a great question. Probably like there's no, no ETA right now, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's definitely something that it, it doesn't seem like at least like within the next year or so that like we like any crypto uh, company would basically be able to like offer these types of like more advanced like derivative contracts to US customers, just based on the current state of the regulation. I think it's definitely something where this is more like where we would take the strategy of like working with regulators, like really trying to educate them on like the benefits of like DeFi and kind of like how like a lot of that stuff can play into like objectives that regulators also have. Um, so it's, it's not like purely antagonistic, I would say, in terms of like DeFi plus like regulation. Like one of the other things that regulators care a lot about um, is just like the uh, like health of markets, um, just like making sure that like the collateral is where the exchange says it is that kind of like uh you know everybody can have transparency into what's going on with the exchange like making sure that the collateral is there like that the operators aren't going to run away with the money well like decentralized DeFi is like a really good fit for basically like solving some of these problems from regulators um the other thing like regulators care in the u.s about is like who is trading these contracts and whether we agree with it or not like who has the financial sophistication uh to basically like be from the government's perspective to be able to like trade them and i think that that's where like most of the uh kind of decision to to block u.s customers comes in or like where a lot of the like laws come in is just due to like the cftc's objective to like make sure that like and this is a CFTC's view, not my view, um, but like make sure that like, you know, less financially sophisticated people, however the CFTC defines it, like don't have access to the more sophisticated financial contracts. Right now in, in America, we, we tend to define it as um, how much money do you have? What's your <laughs> net worth? Yep. Um, yep. Which is a darn shame, but that agree, is yeah. the way it is right now. Understand. Okay. So another quick hit question is when DYDX token, everyone's doing <laughs> yield farming. Like, where's the DYDX token, Antonio? I promise you we are thinking about it. Um, okay. And we're thinking about it very seriously on potentially, like, you know, a shorter, like, time horizon. Um, potentially, like, months from now. It's We have not 
made the decision yes or no, whether we're going to actually do one. We're just like really critically evaluating like how could a token be useful in DYDX? Like what would it be used for? Like how can we get the more the community more involved in things like governance uh, and, and, and stuff like that? How can we use it to just like bootstrap growth of the community and of DYDX itself? So yeah, we're definitely thinking about it. Uh, no firm decisions yet. Um, but yeah, it's something that we are looking to make like a decision one way or another on in, in the next few months. And yeah, if we decide to do it, obviously look for us to release more information at some point. And you guys raise capital kind of the, the VC route, but what do you think of these fair launch style of projects that are cropping up these days? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I definitely think like different like funding models like make sense for different types of projects. Um, for us, the VC like route like made sense. Um, that's not, you know, necessarily the best decision for, for every like entrepreneur to like take like VC money. It really depends like what you're trying to build. Um, I'm yeah, definitely a, a big fan of like a lot of the stuff that's been going on in DeFi. Like I thought like Yam was like a great example, um, even though like it had some security issues. Well, like, of course it's going to have security issues, but that's basically what I think a lot of the stuff with like the fair launch is, is trying to solve, like in just like allocating like capital that's like really in the community's like best interests to allocate. Um, to some of these projects to, to kind of get them off the ground, get them the capital that they need to, to bootstrap like the community and, and kind of let the community take over from there. So I'm definitely a big fan. All right, here's a question that came in from uh, YouTube. So this is on the subject of um, alternative infrastructure. So we've got Ethereum, of course, we know and love. There's also these new, whether you call them ETH killers or competitors or alternate layer twos, whatever you call them, Avalanche, Polkadot, those sorts of things. Are you considering those... Um, infrastructures to host parts of DYDX. And also maybe you could talk about your, your Starkware announcement and what that is. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great segue to that. So, so basically uh, we in the past like month or so had done like a ton of research in terms of like scaling DYDX. Basically what's happened for us, like has happened for like literally everybody else in the space is we're just spending like a ton of money on gas, as you might imagine. Um, so and you guys like, pay for all that. It's not yeah, so we pay for users. users gas when you trade on DYDX. One of the nice things is you don't like have to pay your own gas fees. Um, so that's pretty nice um, once you've deposited. Um, but yeah, trust me, we're feeling those costs. Um, <laughs> so imagine. like, yeah, one of the things we wanted to solve is it, it's just obviously we've gotten to the point where there is a lot of demand to use DYDX, but now we need to scale it. Um, and DYDX is never going to be like super big if it's not scalable. So we looked at a lot of these like new blockchains, looked at a lot of like Ethereum native scaling solutions, things like Optimism, things like OVM, uh, things like obviously Starkware. We also evaluated building our own optimistic rollup uh, chain, which would kind of be special purpose for DYDX. And we really, uh, the reason that we kind of ended up on the Starkware integration as kind of the best possible scaling solution for DYDX at this time was for a couple reasons. Um, so first, like Starkware, like their scaling solution is live right now. Like it's already running in production with like a couple like other exchanges. Um, so like there's an exchange called uh, Diversify, which is already integrated with Starkware just on the spot side. Um, but we, kind of our work with Starkware has basically just given us a lot of confidence that we can build like this next like level of sophistication and like these margin and perpetual systems on a scalable solution with Starkware. And we're going to have it running in production. Um, not in like years from now, but in months from now, um, probably like three to four months or so that we're aiming to have like this live, which I think is wow. a pretty ambitious timeline uh, because yeah. we literally just started working on this with them like a couple, like a month ago. Uh, we basically where we've gotten to is like we finished all the research side. So we know what we're going to build. 
for the most part, and we're actively building it right now. So like all the DYDX engineering team is building this. Um, a lot of the Starkware engineering team, they basically have come up with like a custom scaling solution for us. Um, Starkware, for, for those who aren't familiar, um, they're the leader in kind of uh, using zero knowledge uh, proofs and, and kind of uh, Starks uh, to be able to scale blockchains. And like the really high level, like fundamental way that it works um, is just like, so we have, we're DYDX, we have like a bunch of trades we want to execute, right? Um, and normally, so the way it works right now is for every trade that happens on DYDX, like any other DEX right now, that just maps like one-to-one -one with the transaction that gets sent to Ethereum. So we have to pay like a linear amount of gas fees. Like if we like make 2000 trades tomorrow, we have to pay like twice the amount of gas fees if, as if we've made like a thousand trades today. I bet you guys are spending the like tens of thousands of dollars per month range at this point. <laughs> I'm just gonna laugh at that. Um, so okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm being very <laughs> naive with that. Okay, <laughs> hundreds of thousands. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, that's also, it, it's driving us in the right direction, right? So that's kind of like one of the emphasis there, like one of the things that's like driving us or like built, like move towards the scalable solution and kind of moving on to the scalable solution. So like basically what we need to do is we need to be able to support an unlimited number of trades. So like, how do we do that? And the way like the Starkware integration is going to work at a very high level is now instead of sending trades directly to the blockchain when we want to execute them, we'll basically uh, send them to Starkware instead. And then their services will basically like buffer like all of the trades that we want to execute. So maybe like a thousand trades or whatever in the last hour. Um, and then what they'll do is they won't send all of these thousand trades to the blockchain. Instead, they'll use their magic, which is kind of zero knowledge proofs, um, which sounds magical, um, but it basically like translates these like thousand trades down into this constant size data object. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's a thousand trades, if it's 10,000 trades, if it's one trade, um, it, this like data thing that basically proves that all of these trades happened is the same size, like in megabytes or whatever, um, or, or smaller than that. Um, but like, so it's the same size and that's where like all of the scalability comes from. And then you take this like little data object, which is like the zero knowledge proof. You like submit it to the blockchain like periodically. And that's like where all of the scalability comes from. And kind of by our estimates, this should get us like at least like a hundred X like reduction in gas costs. Wow. Um, so that's something that we're really excited about. Um, yeah, there's also a number of other like really important benefits that we're going to be getting from the Starker integration. I can just go through really fast. Um, so the second um, is being able to support cross margining, um, which sounds like financially sophisticated, but basically all it means right now is right now for each like perpetual on DYDX, they're margined separately. So it's like, if you put down your thousand USDC to margin your Bitcoin perpetual, you can't use that thousand USDC to like margin your like link perpetual. You'd have to like margin oh. it like separately. Okay. Um, but one of the features that other exchanges support, which is actually really important, um, is what's called cross margining. So you basically have like one account. So you have your thousand USDC and that's used to margin all of your positions at the same time. So like you could take like a Bitcoin position and like a link position and like it'd be collateralized by like this same account. Um, and this is also really important for like market makers to kind of really capitally efficient, uh, just like support liquidity on new markets. So we're going to support cross margining um, with the Starkware launch as well. And that's also going to enable us to launch like way more markets, um, like probably on the order of like 20 to like 50. And then that next like six, 12 months after launch. By, by more markets, do you mean more assets? 
more assets yeah like more trading pairs what kind like of assets do you assets. think we, we uh, like yeah some that, that's tokens? definitely something we're still trying to figure out uh we're doing a lot of experiments like we just launched the link perpetual on tuesday actually we're like probably exploring like, other things link marines like, hopefully yeah, any exactly. link marines watching <laughs> yeah if like things like you know yfis of the world like other cross-chain assets like the big ones like xrp stuff like that um, but yeah, adding lots more assets. That's the second improvement. The third improvement is like, if you've used UIDX, it basically feels like any other decentralized app you've used right now, where it's like you make a trade and there's like some spinner on the site that like waits until your transaction gets mined, which is like fine. Like, okay, we probably all understand that, but like, let's be honest with ourselves, like trading on a centralized exchange where like your balances update like immediately and it like feels really snappy. It's just a way better user experience. Yeah. And we're going to be able to support that as well in the instant trades after the Starcore integration. And then the like last improvement, which is also really important, but is like a little more under the hood, is like we're going to put like the Oracle prices on like zero knowledge world, um, which will basically allow us to have way, way more performant Oracle price updates um, than what exists on like any other like Oracle solution on Ethereum right now. Um, and that's basically going to allow us to offer like a lot higher leverage at a lot lower risk to the platform. Okay, I'm just going to summarize everything you said because this is super exciting. I didn't realize this. So what this all feels like to me is it's a major V2 upgrade for DYDX. This is not a small mm -hmm. tweak. This is like a major V2 upgrade. And it's basically going to put you in terms of UX uh, experience and like range of assets you support on par with what centralized exchanges are doing, except exactly just as decentralized as you are today, meaning no one has to give up their assets. Um, there's no uh, KYC process involved. There's no black box where like a, a BitMEX can kind of, you know, cheat you and, and trade against you and do some nefarious activity. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows, right? Um, and you're going to be able to do this in like a four-month time horizon, right? Is that what you just said? Yeah, that's exactly what it's I said. Freaking that's why I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm really excited about, about it now. And yeah. uh, <laughs> one last question to, to kind of tie this off. So... One big question is around composability. So Diversify has their Starkware um, roll-up, right? And Gods Unchained, I think they're using Starkware as well. I heard that recently. Um, can you talk to the different... So you're going to use Ethereum as a settlement layer, not like a Polkadot or Avalanche, um, but can you talk to the other roll-ups from your roll-up? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, basically no. Um, okay. That's kind of like the one thing that like we trade off, but we already kind of like trade that off on DYDX because we haven't really gotten into this yet, but we use like a central matching model right now, which basically means that we run like a matching engine and like an order book um, in a centralized way, but still like all of the trading is non-custodial and like settled on the blockchain. So it'll be very similar to that um in terms of like the composability right now um but yeah we're not we haven't been quite as like focused on that as like a compound or like a uniswap of the world like really like rmo is just trying to provide like you the traders with the best possible like trading experience like on dydx and that's what we've been like laser focused on super exciting david's chiming in he's got three questions hey david and everyone listening so we've got five minutes left with antonio we want to be we want to keep these to an hour so could we try to do as lightning round questions as we can these yeah. next five minutes and I'll just pack them all in go ahead david yeah two of these questions lump together really well so what is the long-term business model of dydx and is there a world where dydx gets like acquired by somebody of the likes of like coinbase or gemini or some big gargantuan in the space or are you guys going to go yeah. ahead and, and pioneer your your own roads here yeah, it's a great question. So there's kind of like two things that DYDX has right now. So it's like the centralized, like matching, like centralized company runs that like we take trading fees, we make revenue. 
And then like the second thing is this like decentralized protocol. And that's kind of where we're thinking about like the token potentially coming in over time. Um, so I think like, we'll see just like these like split a little bit more like over time, like, yeah, of course, like the centralized part could be like acquired. I'm not gonna sit here and say that it like couldn't, um, but like definitely the decentralized part will continue to be its own like autonomous decentralized network. And then another follow-up. So one thing I'm really bullish on is every single entity that has and operates its own L2 is incentivized to have its own on-ramps and like DYDX especially would benefit from having its own native on-ramp. Have you guys thought about this? You mean fiat on-ramp too, Fiat right? on-ramp, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. We thought about it. Yeah, I think it's something where if we did it, we would partner with like another uh, like product that does kind of like a fiat on-ramp, but like we want to just again, make the product experience for like trading on DYDX as simple as possible. And I definitely think like fiat on-ramps like in the product, whether that's like us totally building it or integrating with somebody else is something that's important. So a question from Sid, um, other plat projects in, in DeFi are these platforms, right? Composable money Legos, that sort of thing. Um, you D-Hedge is building on synthetics. Are there some ways that DYDX can act as a platform? That's kind of an underlying primitive money Lego for other things to be built on top of. Yeah, definitely there are. I'd say it's not our main focus right now, um, but like there are a lot of interesting things that have been built on top of DYDX actually. Um, and like DYDX also supports like flash loans. If you've heard of like, you know, that like marketing lingo before, which I'm sure you have, um, like a lot of the like flash loan applications uh, kind of go through DYDX's like margin protocols right now. Um, so that's like a good example of like how things can like be built on DYDX. Um, so definitely I think it's important as well. Other price oracles, um, do, you, do you plan to integrate price data feed from other oracles besides what you're using right now? Yeah, we're definitely looking into it. So we have two uh, Oracle providers as of Tuesday. Um, so we're using Chainlink for the link perp um, for that Oracle. And then we use the MakerDAO V2 Oracles for kind of the uh, all the other stuff. Um, what we're basically building for the Starker integration is kind of like I was saying before in the advantages uh, spiel uh, was that we're kind of building our own like Oracle solution there, which will kind of work similarly and will integrate with like the MakerDAO V2 network for or price oracles, um, but it'll basically just like feed the prices like into zero knowledge lands like way faster and more accurately than they exist on Ethereum. So it's a bit so of like a hybrid solution. This is all going to go through the zero knowledge land that you're talking about, the Starkware implementation right. as well. Very mm -hmm. cool. All right. A, a super secret pseudo anonymous account just asked the question, is ETH money? Antonio, how do you answer? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we're using it as collateral for so like, <laughs> you know, you can trade ETH, trade on the price of ETH, like use it as collateral like you would any other stable coin. So definitely. There you have it. Thank you for the ETH perpetual, by the way. I think that's great for the ETH bulls. Okay. Last question for me. And then I think we're, we're going to have to wrap it up. We've got two minutes left is... Um, how could the bankless nation help you guys? So, you know, I've, I've used this term like, um, I mean, we're on a path to become more and more bankless over time, right? Like decentralize as much as we can. It's, it's a journey. It's not overnight. Um, but one of the things that, uh, we love to support is obviously, uh, decentralized exchanges doing the sorts of things that, that centralized exchanges could do before. Kind of like, I, I love to use the term bye-bye BitMEX, you know, like, like, um, DYDX and other bankless protocols can start to replace some of these things. How can the bankless nation, I guess, help you do that, get involved? Um, are there other ways to get involved in your governance token? If you, if you choose to release one, what can we do to help? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think definitely the best thing you can do um, is like getting the word out there um, just in terms of like, you know, posting about it, like talking to other traders or like people that you may know, which could be like good users of DYDX 
using the product yourself, giving us like feedback where you constantly want to iterate and just make the product like the best possible that we can make it for you. Um, yeah, in, in the future, if we do decide to do like governance token, just like participating more in like governance uh, stuff like that. Um, but absolutely, like we, we think of DYDX like as a product, like as an exchange, and we would just want to make it the best for you and everybody else. Um, so it's really helpful as much as you're all able to like get the word out there, um, ask questions. Um, that's how people learn. Um, and then just keep talking about it. Awesome. I see QAZ put it well. I feel like a sponge soaking up the knowledge of the ocean, referring to this conversation we just had with Antonio from DYDX. He is the founder of DYDX. This has been your AMA Bankless Nation. Thanks for joining me. One last action item for you. If you want to support DYDX and what it's doing, try it out. Um, be careful, of course. <laughs> you know, derivatives, margin training, perpetuals, not for the faint of heart. Uh, test with small amounts of funds. Like you got to know what you're doing with this stuff. It gets dangerous and risky quickly. But if you want to try it out, the best way to do that is a type in bankless 